Circumstances tell you that maybe God doesn't love you. The cross tells you he does beyond anything you could ever imagine. The fact that he would send his son to die on a cross for us. It's the greatest love in history. Even if you put it into human relational terms, somebody willing to give up their life for someone else is quite a profound act of love and courage, isn't it? And Jesus has done that for us. There are times when the circumstances of your life leave you feeling battered and bruised. It's in those moments that you may wonder if God really loves you. Well, Pastor Daniel reminds you today that it's those times that you need to remember the cross of Christ. You see, the cross is the ultimate proof of how much God loves you. So much that he let his only son die in your place so that you wouldn't have to. Now that's amazing love. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 33 as he begins his message, Final Blessings. All right, let's open up in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. I'm shocked because we're like right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And there's this part of me that's like, We're almost done with the Torah, the Pentateuch. But I love where Deuteronomy 33 lands us because Moses in his very last act pronounces blessings over the 12 tribes. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to take that for granted for a second because it'd be so easy for us to forget that Even to the very end, God created all of us to be vehicles for his blessings to enter the world. Like God blesses us that we might be a blessing. Isn't that what God said to Abraham? He said, I have blessed you and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So God wants each one of us to learn from the admonition of the life of Moses that we should be vehicles for his blessing. Like the last thing Moses does is he blesses the 12 tribes. He speaks over them in the name of God. And what's beautiful is, in a lot of ways, we see Moses functioning like a patriarch. If you recall, Isaac did that when he gave his blessing. Jacob ended up getting it, even though it was technically supposed to go to Esau. We find Jacob in Genesis chapter 49 doing the same thing over the 12 tribes of Israel. And in the same way now, you have Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy before he takes his final steps to be home with the Lord, he pronounces blessing over people. And so maybe take a moment and pronounce blessings over people. Bless people in the name of God. People who are either important in your life or maybe people who along the way you've lost the relationship Sometimes we just need to speak blessings because our God is a blessing God. And that's a powerful reality, isn't it? Because words are powerful. They're creative. So jumping on into Deuteronomy 33, got a lot of ground to cover. It begins this way. It says, now this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. 
And he said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came with 10,000s of saints from his right hand came a fiery law for them. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob. And he was king in Jeshurun when the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. So we have this introduction. Now you notice Moses isn't writing this. It says, this is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. So this is along the way someone wrote it down. And Moses begins in his preamble reminding them that God gave the law. And God gave the law at Mount Sinai. And all the pictures here, the Lord came down from Sinai and he dawned on them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran and he came with 10,000s of his saints. All of these pictures are of the sun rising. So the idea is in God coming and speaking to the children of Israel, in the law, it's God's light shining upon the people. Now I know if you think about it, you're like, well, doesn't the law bring death? But don't miss the fact that God's design for the law was never to save anybody. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was meant to be a tutor until we come to Christ. And so the reason the law can function as a light is it shows us our need for God's mercy. Like if you ever look at your life in contrast to the laws, what we find is that we fall short. You know, even the simplest thing... The very first commandment of the big 10, the 10 commandment, I am the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Anybody here ever find their heart straying from the true and living God to anything else? All of us, right? Anybody even today notice that stuff going on in your heart? Yeah, me too. And so even in the very first command, all of a sudden, if you look at your life, you say, wow, so many things jockey for that throne of my heart. And so The law can be light because it drives us into the arms of Jesus. When we realize our great need for him. And so we see this idea of the Lord being light. Now it's interesting. It says he came with 10,000s of his saints from his right hand came a fiery law for them. What's interesting is almost every rabbinical scholar will tell you that what he's talking about here is the ministry of the angels in mediating the law. Now, I know that's kind of a confusing thing, but it does pop up in Galatians chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 2, Acts chapter 7, where in some way God utilized the ministry of angels to be able to mediate the law to Moses. And that gets picked up on a number of places. And so this idea of him coming with 10,000s of his saints is the idea of these ministering angels who are involved. And we find here in verse 3 that God loves the people. All of his saints are in his hand. These are great promises, aren't they? Because I don't know about you, we live in a day and age where it's kind of like love is seen as kind of what have you done for me lately, right? Where it's like, yeah, you constantly have to reaffirm your love And so I realize that for each one of us, given the situations that we find ourselves in, oftentimes we can begin to doubt, does God really love me? But then you have verses like this. And you have the totality of scripture, which reminds us over and over and over again of God's great and amazing love that he has. And I'm sure there's some of you even right now where you're like, I wonder if God really loves me. 
you ask yourself this question because you're looking at circumstances that aren't ideal and you're saying, does God really love me? And if that's you today, I want to remind you that the cross reminds you that God has the greatest love for you. The fact that God would send his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins is very powerful. It's very important because even when your circumstances tell you that maybe God doesn't love you, the cross tells you he does beyond anything you could ever imagine. The fact that he would send his son to die on a cross for us, it's the greatest love in history. Even if you put it into human relational terms, somebody willing to give up their life for someone else is quite a profound act of love and courage, isn't it? And Jesus has done that for us. This idea that all of his saints are in his hands speaks of God's protection and his care. They sit down at your feet. I love that. Like children. You know, as a dad, there's nothing I enjoy more. Well, there's some things that I enjoy as much, but like when my kids all get close, you know what I mean? Well, they'll be like, oh, tell me this thing. And they all get real close. And the idea of us being around the feet of God speaks of him as a father with his kids all around him, which is where you and I belong. Everyone receives your words. And then we're told that Moses commanded this law for us, a heritage for the congregation of Jacob. And so we begin in verse six with the blessings of each of the 12 tribes. And so Reuben, of course, the firstborn, the eldest, he is mentioned first, both in Jacob's blessing of Genesis 49 and also here in Deuteronomy 33, 6. Let Reuben live and not die, nor let his men be few. So what's fascinating here is the blessing is let Reuben live. Let him have life. Now, if you remember from the account in the book of Genesis, Reuben lost his birthright because he had sexual relations with Bilhah, which was his father's concubine. Now, if you don't remember that, you can go read about that in Genesis 35. If you think the Bible is boring, it's because you're not reading it. There's all sorts of stuff in there that you're like, whoa, I can't believe, what? You know, every time I meet someone, like, why would you read the Bible? It's so boring. I'm like, you're not reading the same book I'm reading. This is like some really sordid business, you know? There's all sorts of stuff in here. And so, but the idea is that God's desire for Reuben and for us is life. God's a God of life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have life, what? More abundantly. So God is interested in life. And I think what's important, and it's one of the things that we emphasize here at Crossroads a lot, I emphasize a lot as a teacher, because everybody knows that God is interested in giving us life after death. But what I think is equally profound is that God is also interested in giving us life before death. See, God is not only interested in giving us an eternal life with him, that we have to be in heaven with him, but he wants us to learn how to live right now. See, he wants us to be alive and to live here, to have this idea of this abundant life. And the abundant life is not, well, my idea of the abundant life is I got a jetted tub. Someone just makes me fresh bonbons every day and I don't have to go to work and someone does the lawn and that's the abundant life. No, the abundant life is the presence of God everywhere that you find yourself. That's what the abundant life is. Now, it may involve bonbons and someone doing your landscaping, if that's something. But really what God wants is he wants to infuse your life with his presence. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants to have himself involved in everything that goes on in your world. And when that happens, now all of a sudden, even the most challenging circumstances become places of great revelation and blessing. So God is a God of life and he's interested in life. And that's the blessing over Reuben. Now what's interesting is that Reuben has his, Simeon is actually not mentioned for his own blessing. Now, it's kind of interesting that that's the case. And so what you end up finding in the life of the Simeonites or the descendants of the second born Simeon is that he ends up getting swallowed up into Judah, which was the next oldest son. So you don't hear a lot about the Simeonites going forward, but you do hear a lot about Judah, of course. So in verse seven, it says, and this he said to Judah, hear, Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him to his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him and may you be a help against his enemies. And now what's beautiful here is hear, Lord, the voice of Judah. Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of what? Of Judah. So you realize that every time you get something about Judah, you end up seeing Jesus within it. You know, hear, Lord, the voice of Judah and bring him to his people. I think that's beautiful, isn't it? It's almost a prophecy saying, Lord, bring the Messiah to your people. And that's the blessing of the tribe of Judah, that God, before everything went on, God knew that he was going to bring his son, Jesus, the Messiah, through the lineage of Judah for his people. Let his hands be sufficient for him and may you be a help against his enemies. I love that revelation of God, that he is a strong tower, the righteous can run in and be safe, that he is an ever-present help in time of need. Are you in need right now? I mean, we all are in different ways, but if you're in need right now, flee into the Lord. Allow the Lord to be your strength, to be your deliverer, to be your help in times of need. And if you do that, what you will find is that God is infinitely faithful that he will be with you and will lead you through some of the most challenging times. Now, in verses 8 to 11, we get the blessing of the tribe of Levi. It says, and of Levi, he said, let the Thummim and your Urim be with your Holy One, whom you tested at Massah and with whom you contended at the waters of Mirabah, who says to his father and his mother, I have not seen them, nor did he acknowledge his brothers or know his own children, for they have observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. Strike the loins of those who rise against him and of those who hate him that they rise not again. Now, you have to remember that the tribe of Levi, they were given the gift through God's work at Sinai to be the priestly tribe. So their work dealt with that mobile tabernacle, which ended up giving way to the temple at the time of King Solomon. And so their job was actually to do all the work so that the people could worship. And so the Urim and the Thummim, they were most likely, and I say most likely because 
Nobody really knows what they are, and no one's actually ever seen them, but they were these two stones, precious stones, that were almost used in a way of kind of casting lots to discern the voice and the purposes of God. And it was in the breastplate of the high priest. He had these two stones. Now, how they worked, I've read about a 100 different conjectures on how these things worked. So I'm not going to tell you any of them over how it worked because I don't want to give you bad advice. I feel like as a teacher, my job is actually to tell you when something makes a lot of sense, I say, this is what it is. And when nobody knows what it means, I say, well, people say all these different things, but I don't really know what it does. I've heard people say that when they ask a question, one would light up, all sorts of, and that's one of them. And so I heard a teacher be like, and they would ask and it would all light up. I'm like, well, not really. We don't know what they exactly did. But they were there and they were part of the vestments of the high priest. And so I love this. Let your thumim and your umim be with your holy one whom you tested at Massah and with whom you contended at the waters of Mirabah. Now, if you remember, what went on was this contention where the tribe of Levi was faithful to stand with Moses and Levi, who were, of course, Levites, right? And so, or Moses and Aaron, his brother. And so there was this rebellion that happened. And the Levites stood with Moses and Aaron, who were all of the tribe of Levi. And so it's just a reminder that they were faithful when people challenged the authority of Moses and Aaron. And they were faithful to their calling. And I think that's very, very important that we learn how to be faithful to our calling. Like, we live in a day and age where nobody knows how to be content where they are. And so for the Levites, they were given a very specific task and they were faithful to it. And I think what's important is, is because a lot of times we, people struggle with the idea of being content because it's like, well, does God want me to be lazy? Does he want me to be passionless? But the idea of being content is saying, God, with the step you have me on, I'm going to be infinitely faithful right there. And as I'm faithful in this, I know that if I'm faithful here, you'll give me the next thing because you can trust that I'm going to be faithful. So we don't be faithful so that we get the next thing. We be faithful because God is faithful. And as we become like the Lord, we become more faithful. And as we're faithful in what he gives us, then he gives us the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So really, our only job is to learn how to be faithful with what's in front of us. Now, when I say that, the question becomes, are you being faithful with what's in front of you? Because oftentimes, we're so busy looking at what we're hoping is going to come next that we're not faithful on the step that we're on. And I kind of feel like I have a PhD in that, right? I can see in my heart, I'm always looking beyond what it is rather than saying, Lord, I'm going to be infinitely faithful with what you have in front of me right now. And I'm going to embrace what you have in front of me, whatever it is, and I'm going to be faithful to it because what God really wants is for us to learn how to be faithful because he's faithful. Isn't God faithful? Always faithful. Now, oftentimes we don't understand what God's up to and it makes us question his faithfulness, but God is always faithful and he wants us to learn faithfulness and the Levites were that. I mean, what a great gift of ministry that they receive. Notice in verse 10, they shall teach Jacob your judgments and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. So the Levites get the beautiful gift of teaching the word, the idea of putting the incense before them. Now, this was obviously a substance that was being burned for fragrance. But when you get to the book of Revelation, you find that God sees our prayers as incense. It's powerful. So part of the ministry of the Levites was this ministry of prayer. And notice, who is the incense before? Is it before the people? No, it's before who? Before you, capital Y-O-U. 
So the Levites, their job was to minister as unto the Lord and then and a whole burnt sacrifice on your altar. Now we know that Jesus is the sacrifice, but the Apostle Paul tells us that we should present our bodies as what? As a living sacrifice. And so this is a beautiful picture of the priestly ministry, right? It's a ministry of the word. It's a ministry of prayer. And it's a ministry of being set apart or consecrated for the Lord. Now, before you start saying, well, Fusco, that's your job, because you're one of the pastors here. I actually believe in what scholars and theologians call the priesthood of all believers. And the reason I believe that is because it's in First Peter chapter 2, that God has made us a kingdom of priests, which means all of us are called to the ministry of the word, ministry of prayer, and to be set apart because Jesus is the sacrifice. All of us are called to it. And so, brothers, sisters, be passionate about the word. Teach the word. I always tell people that the best way to learn something is to teach it. It's the best way to do it. And listen, you may say, well, I don't really know that much. I guarantee you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus, right? So there's always somebody who knows less. Like if you've been a Christian for two seconds, you know the Bible better than somebody who has never been a Christian at all. If you've been a believer for 10 years, you know better than a new believer. See, everyone has the ability to make an investment in somebody else. And that's what God calls all of us to. So be passionate about the word. Be someone who allows, put your incense before the Lord. I think that there's no stranger experience than learning how to pray. Do you know what I've learned about learning how to pray? I'm always learning how to pray. It's like you're always trying to figure out, like, how does this prayer thing work? And there's a, a time when you're praying a certain way and you feel like you're having that dialogue with God. And then that same thing, a little bit later, you're like, this isn't working at all. I don't feel like I'm having any connection with the Lord. And then you try something else. And what I've learned is that's exactly the way God likes it. Because if you find one way that works, you actually never have to grow. You never have to seek. You get stuck in a rut. And I imagine that there's some of you even right now, you're like, I'm totally stuck in a prayer rut right now. And I think what happens when you get stuck in a rut is you either pray mindlessly with no dialogue or you just stop praying. But I think what God loves is that prayer is a process of discovery. It's like any relationship. As a relationship deepens, it's a process of discovery that happens where you're learning and pursuing. And then, of course, being set apart for worship. And I love this kind of prayer. Bless his substance, Lord, and accept the work of his hands. I love that. He's saying, Lord, even though the offering may be insufficient, accept the work of his hands. And then, you don't often think about this, strike the loins of those who rise up against him. He's like, if anyone messes with him, then beat him down, Lord. That's what he's saying. Protect them. Now, in verse 12, we get the blessing to the tribe of Benjamin. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him who shelters him all the day long, and he shall dwell between his shoulders. What a beautiful picture this is. Jesus is real. Adding priest to your resume probably never occurred to you. But as you learn today, having a relationship with God makes you part of the priesthood of all believers. That means that you're called to be passionate about learning and sharing God's word. You also have the privilege of seeking God in prayer. Pastor Daniel called it a process of discovery, 
a great adventure where you'll learn more about who God is and what he wants for you. And in all of this, you're set apart for him, what the Bible calls being consecrated. God wants to use you to share who he is with the people around you. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel shares that God made each of us unique wants to use different people in different ways. While church culture may want you to be a cookie-cutter Christian, you should pursue Jesus in the way He's leading you. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series called Cause and Effect. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.